Hello, my loves, and welcome to another episode of the Spiritual Psychologist Podcast. Make sure that you save, subscribe, and review. It really, really helps to get my message out and these really important stories to our listeners if you share my podcast, if you review it. So I appreciate anybody that takes the time to do that. Before we go into this episode, I just wanted to tell you about some changes to one of my beautiful programs that is called Heal and Awaken. So Heal and Awaken is an opportunity to just work with me on a one-to-one over a period of what was eight weeks, and this has now changed to 12 weeks, um, to allow for that deeper sense of support and integration around your healing. And yeah, it feels so good for this to be a 12-week program now. You also have the option to um, add three sessions with a nutritional and functional medicine coach to support you around holistic health. So things like your sleep, your nutrition, um, your gut health, all of those kind of things, which really adds something to the package. So if you want to check out more details on this, then just head to my website, thespiritualpsychologist.co.uk. And if you feel called to work, work with me, follow that intuition and send me a message or book a discovery call so we can have a chat a bit more about this. Okay, enjoy this episode and I will speak to you soon. So welcome everyone to the Spiritual Psychologist podcast. I am so excited for this episode today. We have Ashley here today all the way from New Zealand, right? Yes, Aotearoa, New Zealand. So Ashley is a survivor of sexual abuse and trauma and she is amazing. She's so inspirational. (laughs) Um, She I, what I love about you, Ashley, is how strongly you advocate advocate for Indigenous um, people, for South Asian women, um, and how how important you place trauma informed care. You're a real advocate. That is what I get from you, and it you know it takes bravery to put your voice out there, especially as a minority, you know. So I know you've said lots mm-hmm. of challenging things about yoga and, you know, when it's a <laughs> when it's a white dominated industry and you're putting your voice out there around it, it's like I know, <laughs> I know how uncomfortable it's it scary. can be. <laughs> so yeah. I yeah, I just mm-hmm. value your messages so much and you're a yoga therapist and a sexual violence researcher as well. So Thank you so much for all that you do. It's so important, so needed. Coming from a South Asian background and you're from a specific culture and community, do you want to just tell us what your background is? Yes, so I'm Fijian Indian. Um, So I kind of fit into South Asian communities and then I also fit into Pacifica communities. Mm -hmm. So a real blend. Yes, beautiful. (laughs) And beautiful, but I'm sure it comes up with its own challenges around identity and 
all of those things yeah this episode really is focusing on your journey and your experiences of survival I guess it's that journey from survival to surviving to thriving and you know move shifting from a place of um being in abuse and trauma experiencing that at the time um having those very real experience post that ex- post that experience as well you know reliving it or becoming re-traumatized or re-triggered and how you kind of how that manifested for you and then that journey of healing so it'd just be mm-hmm. so helpful for our audience if you could share a bit about your story and um yeah what happened you know what happened for you mm-hmm. uh, obviously however much you want to share that feels comfortable yeah so I'm actually a survivor of childhood sexual abuse mm-hmm. um and then again in my teenage years so and you know so trauma my body kind of developed around that trauma um so I guess until recently, I haven't really known anything other than that. Um, But I really like what you've said about that shift from surviving to thriving, which I feel has happened now. Mm. Um, So, yeah, um, survivor of childhood trauma, um, childhood sexual trauma, again, and my teenage years and I didn't actually process it at the Mm. time um obviously as a child I couldn't process it at the time so it became this really big really big shame this really big secret that I kind of pushed down and you know tried to move on from um and then again in my teenage years when it happened I again pushed it down um continued with my life Mm. until it resurfaced once I was in a really safe and healthy Mm. relationship um it is that thing of relational trauma comes up in relationships isn't it and when you were kind of when you were a child and a teenager like when you look back how were you sort of functioning so how did it show up at the time do you know what I mean like did you manage yeah. to like push it so far deep down that on the surface everything was okay? Like how was it showing up for you? So the biggest one that I can think of is eating. Mm-hmm. Um just sugar. Sugar became my coping mechanism. Mm-hmm. So since I was tiny, so since I was six, it was everything was sugar, sugar, sugar. That, that's the first thing that kind of jumps to my mind. But the other other part of it is I was that classic overachieving Indian daughter, mm. you know, mm. like breaking barriers, being the advocate for everyone else, but really kind of pushing my own needs to the side. Um, so I was always willing to kind of be hurt so that someone else wouldn't be hurt. Mm. Um, I really took on that uh I guess big sister role in a way mm. um other ways of coping how else did it show up I think the eating definitely comes to mind first yes. but also secrecy mm. you know there were so many secrets and I'd learned to kind of 
find ways to look after myself and not rely on other people or not ask for help when I need yes. to. Um, and so I really struggled with vulnerability, believe it or mm. not. I did not talk about my feelings. I did not like crying in front of friends. Um, I just really struggled to ask for help. Yes. So there were lots of, lots of ways. Mm. It's mm. so interesting what you're saying, like, about, you know, what you're saying about the sugar, but also the the bit that really resonated for me as well was what you said about like the overachievement. So, mm-hmm. you know, within the South Asian community, there's so much research around so around South Asian women, um, secret kind of, I mean, eating disorders are quite secretive, aren't they? But, you know, mm-hmm. poor relationships with food, self-harm um, and, you know, real kind of suppression of voice as well. And so everything is very Mm. secret. And on the surface, you know, South Asian women look like they're okay. And because they're getting the grades, because they're achieving all the time. And there's so much needed here around like identification of, you know, trauma in, in, you know, amongst that population of girls because it's Mm -hmm. just not seen South Asian girls are not going to be the ones that are out on the street drinking doing drugs um you know having multiple sexual relationships or whatever it might be that that's an that is one direction that trauma can go in can't it and I say that Mm -hmm. without without judgment right That, that trauma shows up in so many different ways but when you are in an environment where um, you have to do what you're told, you have to succeed, you have to get the grades, that your, your whole life is based on you are, um, you are not enough if you do not achieve these things, then, and, yeah. and there's strict rules around how you behave and all of that. It, it can only kind of go one way, which is secrecy. Yeah. Yep. And I think, I mean, from personal experience, we do still do the drinking, the drugs, the partying, the, the having multiple sexual partners, but it all becomes in secret. Yes. And that's just so much more dangerous mm. in a way, mm. because you do end up really splitting, splitting your identity. And then you, you become an adult and all of a sudden you're at this point in life where you try and figure out who you are and you realize, well, I know who this part of me is in this part yes. or when I'm in this crowd or with this group of people, this is who mm-hmm. I am. But how do you bring all of that together? I think that's a real yeah. struggle for many. Societies. So did you, did, did that, is that something that you came, that came up for you then in your teenage years? Yeah. So in my, in my community growing up, um, oh, I was kind of placed in, on a pedestal in my community. Mm. Um, so I come from, I come from a family and like who are really involved in our spiritual practices and religious communities. Um, and so my parents did a really great job actually at supporting both their daughters to be, I guess, grow with a lot of cultural pride. So I grew up playing a lot of Indian instruments and leading a lot of prayers mm. um, and singing and things like that and doing Bharatnatyam, like Indian yes. classical dancing. Um, and so 
how the community viewed me was like this perfect little mm-hmm. child who, you know, comes to the prayers and leads the prayers and does the classical dancing and why can't you be more like Ashley? But no one knew what was happening underneath or, you know, in secret. Yes. And so that really reinforced that split yes. for me. Yeah. And then and it's this thing of like, who am I? Like that instantly creates an identity issue doesn't it of yeah who am I like yeah and and this adaptation this ad- learning to adapt yourself for other people rather than being being authentic to who you are and also so much fear mm-hmm. you know here was this great shame that I was carrying this massive secret that I'd hoped no one would find out and I think what really kind of played on my mind was, well, they've placed me on a pedestal. What happens when they find out about this huge secret of mine? Mm. How badly is that fall from the pedestal going to hurt? Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm. I can so relate to what you're saying, you know, this. Yeah. And it kind of like brings back, comes back as well to this expectation thing and comparison thing of like, you know, Ashley is this type of girl. She's a good girl. She's doing all of these traditional cultural things and, you know, and, um, and so then you're living up, you're also living up to that expectation, right? Yeah. It really took a toll on me, I think. Well, I don't think I know. Yes. And so my adult years have been reclaiming that and reintegrating mm, that. Mm-hmm. I feel like maybe I made like a um, assumption about a South, South Asian women and that we're maybe not the ones that are drinking, out drinking and doing the drugs. I just think that there's, that it's, like you said, it is more hidden that, that, that South Asian women tend to be quiet they don't tend to, ex- or oh. you look at South Asian girls or South Asian women, they tend to be like, you know, keep your opinions to yourself, you know, get on with it. Like, don't kind of make a thing, you know, don't make a thing out of this, don't mm-hmm. cause conflict. And I guess that's yeah. the, yeah, the point that I was making was that a lot of behaviours can be more inter- inward behaviours rather than those outward outward behaviors if you see what I mean did you know though that that silence um according to so there's a fabulous fabulous sexual violence researcher um Annalise Singh and she actually spoke to this around uh, silence being one of the resilient strategies that are used Mm. by South Asian women Mm -hmm. and I thought that was so It was just so incredible coming across that bit of research because it was that moment where, you know, we look at South Asian women and how quiet we are. And obviously from like a Western perspective, people look at that and go, oh, no, here's this poor, quiet, vulnerable, in need of saving (laughs) South Asian woman. But actually, you think about it. What has that woman done? She's known when to tell her story, when to stay quiet to keep herself safe. And so that is such a huge form of resilience yes. that we use, that we know where to go to keep our story safe, to keep ourselves safe. And I think that's just really important to to acknowledge because for any any South Asian woman listening, I, I mean, for myself included, yes. I get so sick of this this whole stereotype mm. that we are weak and in need of saving. Yes, you know? yeah, definitely. 
yeah I mean I actually like uh, yeah I kind of have like a um I get a bit triggered by BIPOC you know like BIPOC discounts and stuff like that for, for that reason because mm-hmm. because I feel like oh okay I'm being put in this like minority like weak group do you, do you know what I mean? That And that I can't, like, yes. I can't show up for myself financially or... And I totally understand the intention behind it, you know, and it, it's so, it is so needed, isn't it, because of equality, you know, that it, it, that it yeah. is needed, but it's a similar thing, isn't it? And there is so much, yeah. there's so much whiz, untapped, untapped wisdom, power, resilience, strength, in the Asian woman that is not um yes that's not seen you know or that needs to be acknowledged and t- yeah tapped into right um because we are mm-hmm. ha- like powerful as fuck <laughs> hell yes we are we are so powerful so powerful I mean the fact that like you know we will we will advocate for each other like nobody's business, you know? Like, we will mm-hmm. always kind of step up to... I think, and this is also really interesting, because I know as a kid I would have struggled to speak up for myself, but I would have had no problem speaking up for someone else. Yes. You know? Yeah, that's me that, too. That, that, that strength there. Mm. Yeah, you get it. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I love, I love what you said mm-hmm. there about the silence, because it's so true. There's, you know, there is power in that. It's a, it's a coping strategy that is um, maybe misinterpreted as a weakness when actually yeah. it's a, yeah, the flip of it is that it's a resilience strategy, isn't it? A coping strategy. Yeah. Um, so what I'd love to know is what you said was that you had kind of pushed all this stuff away, even though it was showing up in some of your like secretive behaviors and the sugar and what whatever however it's showing up in teenage years you said that it really started hitting you I guess when you entered that safe relationship with someone and Mm -hmm. that you felt that sense of safety and like you said that's where often we can then start experiencing experiencing the result of um, things that have happened earlier on in our life. So it would just be so helpful to kind of know what that, you know, what was it that manifested in that relationship? Like what were the challenges that came up? What were you experiencing? So at this point I was 21 and I had no intention. So I was doing the classic getting blackout drunk, Mm -hmm. going out partying, all of that. I had no intention of stepping back and looking at any of this trauma. Um, And I met my partner and we started dating. And I guess it just kind of naturally started coming up when, especially around being intimate. Mm. And I think when I first shared with him that I was a survivor, he didn't run away. Mm. You know, he didn't shame me. He didn't shut me down. He didn't run away. He just sat with me or sat in the shit with me, as my therapist would say. (laughs) Um, And I think that was a real turning point for me because it felt like, oh, shit. 
this thing that I was so ashamed of someone finding out, I've actually told the person that I'm in an intimate relationship with this about this thing and they haven't run away. So maybe it's okay to start talking about it. Maybe it's okay to start unpacking it. Mm. And actually when I was um, at university, I had an email in my drafts to a rape crisis in the area and I did not send that email for five years. Okay. <laughs> so I sat on that for five mm. years um, and so, yeah, started seeing dating this person um and also um i became a step parent and so all of a sudden having a child that i was caring for and raising i think it brought up a lot for me in terms of like oh wow look at the things that this child is receiving from us now this love and support it really kind of clicked for me of like shit this is what I should have had. Mm. This is these were the things I was worrying about, like needing someone to help me put on my school bag. You know, I should have been worrying about that yes. instead of all this other shit that I was pushing down. Yeah. So it all, I think, the combination of being with my partner and becoming a step parent, it all really played into mm. each other. And then here's that, um, I guess, that collective collective thinking of well. I don't want this shit to be passed on or unresolved and, you know, uh, ripple out onto the children mm. that I'm raising. Yeah. So, I don't, and again, I say this because I don't want anybody to think that I was like this incredible person at 21 who decided to face this because that was not <laughs> the case at all. Anything, I kind of ran out of options. Yes, <laughs> that relationship was brought to you for a reason wasn't it like you didn't have the chance to escape the triggers and the realization that what you experienced wasn't I guess normal you know being abused or raped or traumatized in that way is not normal and that you know you had what you it taps into what you said earlier on which is up until a certain point you you you're just functioning so you don't know any different Mm -hmm. you don't know any different you just think this is how it is and then it's when these things come up like you know experiencing what a childhood should look like that that you're then going to start realizing oh wow that was not my experience at all there was something majorly like um wrong there or not the word wrong but that yeah, yeah that it that it wasn't it wasn't feeling good you know I mean well I I would would use the word wrong there you know because I feel like we end up downplaying it you know or second guessing ourselves of like no 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 maybe it's all in my head yes or yeah you know maybe I'm I meant yeah but it's only- yeah I meant what your experience that your experience of whatever you were yeah. feeling was was wasn't wrong if you if you see what I mean not that Mm -hmm. yeah right right yeah (laughs) and then how did it start like what were you sort of finding so when this relationship came into your when your partner came into your life and you were parenting like what did that how did it how did it show up then? So you were getting triggered and then were you feeling anxiety, panic? Like how mm. did it, how did this oh, show up? All, all of it. So the main one was somatic pain. Mm. Um, and so 
like anxiety, depression, kind of navigating PTSD symptoms. But of course, all of my all of my symptoms did not fit the criteria for those um, for PTSD. So I couldn't get that treatment. So that was, you know, like all of these things Mm. around healing and all of the loopholes and all of the barriers that we had to jump, I think was a big reason why I went down this path Mm. of what I'm doing today. But yeah, the, the PTSD, the anxiety, the depression, the not being able to sleep, not being able to eat. Mm. I had like touch triggers. Touch was such a trigger. Mm. Um, and so was smell. So like I had visual triggers, audio triggers, just all round. Mm. And so it really, it really, it really impacted my relationship actually Mm. especially around wanting that connection wanting to connect with another human and knowing that that touch that love though all of those physical affectionate things were coming from a place of love and I couldn't accept it at the time because you know I was stuck in that trauma space Mm. and so everything felt like a threat yes and it it also sounds like you had an experience where like you were almost not believed by like the establishments that were supposed to be the ones believing you when you've experienced something so traumatic that you weren't able to share this thing that happened to you you know so it's like consolidating Mm -hmm. the message that like this is about you yes it's not about the perpetrator this is about you and like you're not showing up in the typical way that like um yeah PTSD is identified or whatever so that that must have been like traumatizing in itself absolutely absolutely and I was quite fortunate actually to have a therapist at the time who she genuinely believed that trauma manifests in somatic Mm. symptoms as Mm. we know it does um and you know, a lot of a lot of South Asian communities, actually a lot of Asian communities, a lot of trauma does come up in physical symptoms. Mm. And I think that's where, you know, one of the mismatches in whatever system we're in, if it is set up by kind of like the Western mindset, then they kind of look at you and go, well, you're not, your symptoms don't look like this. And this is what we know to be Mm. PTSD or trauma or whatever it is. So yours can't be it. You know, so there was that real cultural mismatch. Mm. That's so interesting. I hadn't really thought about that, actually. The Westernized, it's a Westernized perspective, isn't it? That doesn't really yeah tap into different communities and cultures and yeah and then yeah another like level of rejection isn't it another level of rejection yeah Mm -hmm. Yeah. so how did you gone no 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 carry on (laughs) how did you navigate so you had all of it sounds really intense you had all of these um sensory very sensory very physical uh experiences from your from that Mm -hmm. past trauma showing up in the present like how did you where did you start then with navigating that so you didn't you obviously went down a medical route of like okay this is 
is this PTSD? Oh, I don't fit this criteria. And then like, what was the journey with it? How, how did you, how did you cope with it? First of all, it was establishing safety. So I, I did weekly therapy for about two years or maybe three years. Mm-hmm. I can't, I can't remember now. Um, but yeah, so those two to three years through talk therapy was really just about establishing enough safety yes. in my world and my body around me. Um, and, and that was really before I even kind of dived into the body work mm-hmm. stuff. So first, I think it was very much around the head space, yes. you know, the thinking stuff. And I did have a tendency to intellectualize everything mm-hmm. as a way of not re-entering my body. Yes. So, yeah, so about two to three years going through weekly therapy. Um, and that's that's quite a lot, actually, until mm. I'd established enough safety to start start wanting more. Um, and this is where I really learned to advocate for myself because I knew that by the, that point, I knew that there was stuff sitting in my body that I needed to move through, I needed to work through because I wanted my body mm. back. Um, and so... That's where I started exploring things like I went to a craniosacral therapist, mm-hmm. um, which is like, you know, very gentle, gentle body work. Um, and then I started going to trauma-informed yoga classes. Mm-hmm. And so that was a really, really big turning point for me. Um, and and that's when I really started working on the body. Yes. And so that involved like being a dietitian, working with a pelvic health physio, working with the craniosacral therapist and the yoga therapist, and so a number of mm-hmm. different things. Actually, I'd love to know, like, when you went before. into those things, were you going intentionally with "I want to connect with my body to heal from these experiences," or was it that you just felt intuitively like "I want to"? go and experience this thing you know I want to go and do some yoga I want to you know and it happened to be trauma-informed yoga yoga do you see what I mean did you have the insight to actually be thinking okay I'm actively seeking these things well I think by that point I knew that the talk therapy wasn't enough. Yes. I knew deep down, or I guess, yeah, intuitively, that something something more was needed. Mm-hmm. And so I was almost like a little um, adventurer, I yes. guess, you know, like I really um, embodied that curiosity and went and tried a number of things. Mm. And I really had to advocate for myself there because you know, the, 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 the Western system was telling me you need this and this and this for healing. Yes. And that wasn't working for me. Mm. <laughs> and so I really had to go and explore these, I guess, alternative healing methods or looking at myself holistically and thinking, well, and I do need to point out as well that the first degree that I'd studied was psychology. So I kind of had like this foundation going into this work. So I was able to really advocate for myself mm-hmm. there and figure out, actually, this isn't working yes. for me. I need a holistic approach. Yeah, but there was something as well about you feeling safe in yourself to do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I was really supported. Like, 
you know, I had a really loving partner. Mm. I have, you know, my parents are also really supportive. Mm. My sister's really supportive. So I, and so I just had this whole network, this whole community that was really rooting for me. Yeah. <laughs> and so it just became, you know, and that is a real privilege, you know, like I've been really lucky mm. to have been given this opportunity to be supported by so many people so that I could heal. And I think, you know, that's not something I take for granted because I don't know if I hadn't had that community, I don't know where I'd be yes, right now. Yeah, yeah. They, those safe mm. connections are so key, aren't they? Um, yeah. Yes. So how did you kind of like, so you're doing, so you were doing more of the body connection work and was there a point where did that, did it feel like, you obviously felt safe enough to experience those healing modalities. Like, did they bring up a lot of um, discomfort? And did you want to run away from it? Um, or did it feel safe enough, obviously, to explore it? Well, I think... It did bring up a lot of discomfort, which is why I continued going to weekly therapy. Mm -hmm. But I think I was just at that point, that crossroad where I was like, if I run away now, then me running away from discomfort is going to have effects for the child whose life I'm mm -hmm. in. So it was just that point of like, I could choose to run away from discomfort, but then how am I going to role model that yes. to my child yeah. of no, 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 you know, we can get through this, mm. we can build resilience. Um, and also by that point, I think I had kind of figured out that we needed more advocates for South Asian survivors. We needed more advocates for survivors. Mm. And so I think what ended up happening for me was, again, that curiosity thing of like, I am only willing to recommend something or offer something to someone else if I if I have gone through that myself. Yes. Because like if I've experienced, if I've gone to some modality or something that I've tried that hasn't worked for me, I'm not going to suggest that to someone yes. else. So for me, I kind of took on that like, okay, well, you know, if I go down this road, can I turn around and say, hey, this thing is worth exploring? Mm -hmm. I can't do that if I run away from yes. discomfort. <laughs> yeah, 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 yes. Mm -hmm. So you had to find that strength to really lean lean into it. And, like, that's the, that's the challenging part about healing, isn't it? <laughs> you know, yeah. that you want to run away. You want to run away, that, it, that, that things come up, you feel triggered, it feels highly uncomfortable, you might... Um, you might even experience like flashbacks or um, sensations in your body that that take you back to an experience um, physically. And mm -hmm. yeah, it's a really, it can be a really challenging thing to navigate, but there's something about, there's something about having, I think, a, like a helicopter view on what is happening you know so I guess like some understanding that through this healing work I am going to experience discomfort and that's okay you know mm -hmm. so when you have that kind of perspective yeah. and you can look down on the situation even when you're going through it 
there's kind of that separate separation from the direct experience and you're able to say it's all right you're still safe you're okay this is mm-hmm. part of the process and it will pass mm-hmm. although like I think spending that two to three years establishing safety was really really big Mm. because then I had something to kind of come back to and again this is where like my community of of support really helped because I had I had people in my life who would say to me okay once you've gone to that thing come and have a coffee with me or come and you know have a chai with me and I'll hold the space if you need Mm. to so I always knew that there was the opportunity to talk to someone if I needed yes. to. Yeah, there was that loving space yeah. around it, which is beautiful. And where has your healing journey taken you? So doing all of this work on yourself, leaning into all the really challenging things, like where has it taken you now? So I know we were talking before, you know, we got onto this podcast about how it feels very much that you're thriving and that your those experiences that impacted on you so um strongly and understandably that they feel now so far away because you're so you're in such a different space of thriving Mm -hmm. so what has that looked like Mm -hmm. like what has I guess what was opened up for you on your healing journey Oh, it's been a ride, I tell you. <laughs> um, I think the really, really big shift that happened for me from surviving to thriving was actually I did, um, I took, I'm not sure if you're familiar with Michelle Casey, who's a sexuality luminary, I okay, think that's her title, um, but she did, um, she runs um, a course called My Sexual Self. And so I did that course last year and I'm actually doing it again now. But I did that course last year and it really made me kind of look at my conditioning around sex mm-hmm. and sexuality and look at how I viewed pleasure mm. and, you know, what was the narratives around whether pleasure was okay or pleasure was bad, whether sex was okay or sex yes. was bad, all of these things. Um, so I think that was a real a real shift for me last year because I was able to kind of do a lot of body work on myself to release what had been sitting there because by by that point it wasn't my mind it was what was sitting in my body Mm. still so my mind was capable and able but there were things in my body that obviously I wasn't aware of that kept coming back up trying to be witnessed trying to be acknowledged Mm. and I wasn't able to acknowledge it and so I did I did this 12-week program and it was absolutely incredible and that was really when my view of pleasure Mm. changed because I think up until this point, I'd always thought of like, oh, pleasure is sex. Yes. But it's like, oh, hang on a second. Pleasure-based living is its own mm. thing. Like sexual pleasure is, yes, there's a part of pleasure, which is sexual, but pleasure does not have to be sexual yes. at all. And as a survivor, I'm fucking entitled to my pleasure. Yes. You know, that is my goddamn birthright. Yeah, it was your birthright that <laughs> was taken away from you and... So part of the healing is reclaiming it, 
right reclaiming your pleasure yeah, yeah. reclaiming what was rightly yours yeah. yes and that's where the shift from surviving to thriving started happening because I would kind of start moving through my day to see how, you know, what are the small ways I can bring pleasure into my life? Mm. And dance has always been a huge part of that dance and music and movement and yoga. It's always been such a big part of it. But all of a sudden, it's like the flavor of it changed. Yeah. You know, I could actually slow down enough to see, oh my God, this thing is bringing me so much joy. And, you know, I've I've done pole dancing for a few years mm. now, and that was also a really safe way for me to kind of reclaim my body, yes. my femininity, my sexuality, because all of a sudden here was this dance form where I could dance as sensually as I wanted to, and it was only for my yes. gaze. You know, someone was only allowed to look at me if I had invited them. Yes, to look. <laughs> yeah, so powerful. And so again, like. Yeah, like it, um, because I'd, I'd really disconnected from my femininity and from my body, mm. you know, I didn't want to be seen. And all of a sudden, here was this dance form in the space that allowed me the opportunity to explore, like, hey, I can be seen when I want to be yes. seen, but otherwise, don't yeah, look. Yeah. And you can look, but you can't touch. Thank you very yes. much. You know, all of this being in a space where women celebrate mm. each other for for being sensual beings, you know, for being these goddesses. Um, oh, there's just so many things that I think have really supported my shift from surviving to thriving. Um, but, and I think also doing research last year. Sorry, can we just go back to the pole dancing? So I did. Um, oh, yes. <laughs> Because I just wanted You're to say, no, 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 let's not, let's not leave that because that's like, just, it's just so hot. <laughs> Whenever I watch your, look at your Instagram or it comes up on a story or whatever, I'm like, oh my God, this girl is so fire. <laughs> and I'm so glad, I'm so glad to be invited to watch. You know, it's like such a privilege. <laughs> but there, there's yeah, something yeah. about like, um, you know, that space being like, yeah, I love what you said, like a reclamation of your power. But also there's something there around like a reclamation of boundaries. You know, yeah, it's such a powerful yeah. thing that I am um, communicating how my body is feeling and like my intimacy with my own body and you know that space of like you said if you're invited then that's okay you can watch but otherwise you're not allowed it's such a powerful a powerful subtle reclaiming isn't it and it's a sisterhood it's a sisterhood which is also Yeah, so beautiful and so needed, isn't it? Although, uh, you know, like my, my partner now comes to pause, mm. you know, so I think oh, beautiful. it's I love been that. quite a nice way, <laughs> like a nice way. I think, you know, if more men did poll, they would know how to interact yes. with women in a safe way, yeah, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Don't look unless you're invited. Yes. Don't touch unless you're invited. Yeah. 
simple as that. There's just something so sacred about being able to move in a way that feels pleasurable for mm. me. And it's not about how it looks. Yes. It's purely about how it yes. feels. And I think that's what's really special yeah, about Yeah, absolutely. Definitely. It's beautiful. So beautiful. And you were just saying about your research, about, yeah, how research has been powerful as well. Mm. So I think, you know, like I, I did a research project last year um, to kind of explore the journey to well-being for South Asian women survivors of sexual violence. And I think that was kind of like the last piece for mm -hmm. me to understand, you know, this is what my journeys look like. What have other people's journeys looked like? And I think that was kind of like the reckoning, you know, the shift to the advocate mm -hmm. of like, oh, my God, this isn't just me. There's so many other women out there who've experienced similar things yes. and have also experienced similar barriers to their healings because of the systems mm. we're in. And so that was that was massive mm. for me because there was a lot of anger and a lot of grief and a lot of rage that came out through that research project. But I think through that project, I found my voice. Mm -hmm. You know, I found... You know, in that, in that project, one of my findings was how because we we come from mostly collective cultures, and so relationships are really important for us. Yes. And so we need these big sister mentors, these big sister survivor advocates, so that other survivors in the community can see someone who's vocal about mm -hmm. it and feel like, oh, actually, maybe it's okay for me to ask for help. Maybe it's okay for me to share, or maybe it's okay for me to reach out and speak to them. Mm -hmm. While I know that maybe other health professionals who don't, who have that cultural mismatch might not understand. Mm. And so I think really stepping into that role because of research has, you know, it's just been invaluable. Yes, yeah. That, I mean, that must have been a journey for you, you know. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I can relate. I, I because, yeah, I can relate because I... <laughs> You know, in my when I was working as an educational psychologist, I'd deliver training on certain things that felt particularly close to me. But when I went into mm -hmm. reading all the research about it, it was I found it quite triggering, you know, and depressing oh, yeah. and like <laughs> Yeah. Um it was like a journey <laughs> of like, oh shit, like that's why I responded in these ways, you know. <laughs> And that this is actually like yeah. a a response which then makes the experience real, you know? And yeah, that it's like yeah. an interesting journey. It's a but a powerful one. A powerful one. And Yeah. And it's like it's like affirmation. Yes. You know? Like you think that it's just you or it's all in your head, and then you read about it and you go, Oh my god, actually this affects so many other people. Mm. So it affirms that in a way. And I think also kind of takes it out of you so that you can kind of look at it as a thing rather than it being all internal and you having no space to speak to it. What an amazing conversation just from, yeah, reclaiming the power and strength of South Asian women. women. Like, yeah, the challenge around that, I loved that. And... Just mm -hmm. hearing your journey, I know, is going to be so inspiring, you know, that that your trauma doesn't have to rule your life, that 
yes, it's a challenging process of healing, but that you can find freedom from it, you know, you can find freedom mm-hmm. from the most terrific um, experiences and that you can thrive, you can thrive and receive so much pleasure and joy and reclamation of your power. And yeah, you are living proof of that for sure. I think, you know, screw living a life where you're not allowed to experience pleasure. Like that's so, no, I don't want that life. You know, give me the pleasure. Give me that pleasure-based living. Mm. I think we are just, it is our birthright, you know, and I think all of our conditioning, everything teaches us that South Asian women aren't allowed to be sexual Mm -hmm. beings. We're not allowed to be sensual beings. And I think this is part of that reclamation. So to anyone listening, reclaim your sensuality reclaim your pleasure it is your birthright yes I love that absolutely I totally advocate that too (laughs) so if anybody wants to connect with you uh wants to work with you at all where's the best place or places to find you so you can find me on instagram at maharani.movement or you can find, you can go have a look at my website, which is just www.ashleyraju.com. Okay, perfect. Thank you so much for being yeah. here. I love you. You're such a wonderful queen. You are a queen. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for having That's me. Okay. It's so great. So great to be here. Thank okay. you. <laughs> I will, I'm sure we will connect very soon. Thank you so much for listening today to another episode. We love and appreciate you so much for being here, for being part of this community. If you want to find out any more about the work I do or to access some really wonderful content, go and check out my Instagram at the spiritual underscore psychologist. And I will see you next time for another powerful episode.